Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession. Today, Wednesday, January 20th, marks our 171st program. Today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus Pocket Guide. The 2021 Actus Pocket Guide is your essential CDI resource. It includes updates to clinical diagnostic standards, official coding guidelines, ICD-10 CM codes, and CDI critical thinking tips. It's co-written by our CDI Education Director, Laurie Prescott, and a practicing physician steeped in the latest physician documentation terminology, Dr. James Manns. Be sure to kick off this new year with a number one CDI resource in your library today. Um, as a special bonus, with every purchase, you have access freely to an interactive, customizable online tool, which will easily allow you to access your favorite CDI information anytime. Check it out at hcmarketplace.com. All right, my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Alex Hauser and CDI Focus. I'm joined today by my co-host, Sharm Brody. Sharm is an instructor for our CDI boot camps and a subject matter for us here at Actus. She has more than 35 years experience in the healthcare industry. Uh, worked in multiple areas of nursing in a variety of roles and then moving into CDI, uh, eventually providing education for CDI departments. She's implemented and overseen CDI departments in both large academic and small community hospitals. Does a lot of work for us here at Actus, writing articles and doing a lot of co-hosting. And I'm pleased to have her back for her our second show of 2021. So welcome, Sharm. Thank you, Brian. Is it too late to say Happy New Year to everybody? We're still no. in January, right? Yeah, I think January, we're still allowed to say that. February. All right, Happy New Year, everybody. February, I'm cutting you off. But yeah. yeah, February, we're done. <laughs> All right. Next, I'd like to introduce uh, today's special guest. We're coming back for a return appearance on the Actus podcast is Deb Jones. Deb is the director of CDI at Brigham and Women's Hospital, a large academic medical center affiliated with Harvard Medical School in Boston, as well as community-based Brigham Faulkner Hospital. We were just joking before the show that this is a all Massachusetts podcast, Charm being from Massachusetts originally. Of course, I live there myself. A um, little background on Deb. She reports to the Department of Safety and Quality. Her team focuses efforts on finding unique ways to impact clinical quality outcome measures while improving the overall integrity of the medical record. We're going to be getting into that today with today's topic. Um, her team recently expanded to include all payer review, and I want to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Deb. Uh, thanks, Brian, for inviting me back to the podcast. Um, Happy New Year to you, too, Charm. And uh, also, I'd like to say it's so exciting that the um, pocket guide is now online. That's a great move. Yeah, pretty cool, right? For the audience, I did not prompt Deb to say that that was of her own volition. <laughs> <laughs> We're excited about it too. All right, let's take, as we always do, we'll start with a poll question related to today's topic. I'm going to go ahead and launch that on your screen. You should be seeing that uh, coming up in a moment. The question today reads, 
how much of an emphasis does your organization place on improving its Ellixhauser comorbidity capture? Your options are significant, meaning it's a principal focus of your day-to-day -day reviews. Uh, somewhat, maybe it's a secondary consideration for you when you're reviewing the, the record. Uh, not a focus, don't know, or not applicable. Again, how much of an emphasis does your organization place on improving its Ellixhauser comorbidity capture? Would you describe it as a significant emphasis, somewhat of an emphasis, not a focus, don't know, or not applicable? I'm going to give this just one more minute here. As I see, results are still streaming in, and then we'll come back to these results in just a few minutes. We've got about two-thirds of our audience voting. Looks like our results are starting to normalize, so I'm going to close that out, and we will come back to that in a few minutes. Um, and I'll just add to, if you do have maybe an other response, I'm, only, I'm limited to five poll responses with our tool, uh, shoot me a comment and or a question in the, uh, in the chat. For the pod for the podcast we always take a look at those during the show all right one moment if you could hear folks there we go so as i mentioned our uh, special guest today is deb jones deb welcome to the show and thanks for being a part of the podcast you know i know as i mentioned at the outset you've been on the show before but i i do think it's worth uh, recapping a little bit about the cdi program at brigham and women's its current focus, and then maybe tie that into today's topic, which is the Ellixhauser uh, Comorbidity Index. So could you start by setting the stage for us a little bit here? Absolutely, sure. Um, <clears throat> Brigham and Women's uh, is an 800-bed academic medical center in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, we are affiliated with Harvard Medical School, and we're also part of the larger Mass General Brigham family, previously known as Partners Healthcare. Um, the CDI program at Brigham reports to the Department of Quality and Safety, um, and for several years, Brigham has been ranked in the U.S. News World Report top 20 best hospitals, uh, best hospital honor roll, and that's that's where Alex, where our our introduction to Alex Hauser came in. Um, there are several different factors that go into the methodology for the U.S. News ranking, but survival plays a, a very large role in their ranking. And um, as you know, survival a direct reflection on quality of on quality of care. Um, U.S. News uses Alex Hauser to risk adjust for mortality. And here's where it ties in. Um, uh, the VP of quality, whom I report to, likes to refer to CDI as the effector arm of quality. Mm. And um, I really think that's a fitting descriptor. Um, while CDI, we have no influence on observed mortality, we can ensure that the medical record accurately reflects the complexity of, uh, of our patients. And um, that's, the, that's the work that we're doing to impact those Alex Hauser scores and uh, in turn our, our ranking on, on, on US News. I love that. And I love the effector arm. 
I know. Um, I know that's that's cool. It does like that. that. That's mine. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> put a little <laughs> trade, trademark next to it. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. I have a question for Deb. All right, Deb. First of all, let's start out with telling them what it actually is. So, what is the Lixhauser Comorbidity Index? How does that differ from the CC and MCC list that the CDI have been dealing with? And do you have any examples of something that might be in the Elixhauser um, comorbidity index that isn't, is weighted, that isn't maybe a CC or an MCC or vice versa? Okay. Like good examples. <laughs> yep. Uh, so the Elixhauser comorbidity index is a tool or a model used to risk adjust patients or populations of patients. There are other risk adjustment models out there. Many of them are very similar. And what we have seen is that um, a lot of the conditions or um, diagnoses that are Ellickshauser conditions, you're also gonna find in many of the other standard models as well. So, um, <clears throat> although, um, you know, our CDI department, um, we're talking about Alex Hauser today, but our CDI department is knowledgeable of those other models as well. And while they're reviewing the record and uh, they're looking to capture all of the conditions that aren't properly documented. Um, so I should say a lot of us are used, I'm just kind of gonna just say a little bit of something about risk adjustment in general. So. A lot of us are used to hearing the term risk adjustment associated more with managed care and or managed Medicare and the role it plays in encouraging insurers to not deny coverage to patients with chronic illnesses. All that came in the in the wake of um, the Affordable Care Act, but today we're talking about it. Um, in a, although it's a different purpose, the concept is still the same, right? We're trying to level the playing field since all patients aren't created equally or at least not as equally sick. Um, for a long time, we thought that SOI and ROM, were, we were talking about this just before the program started, um, that SOI and ROM were sufficient enough to demonstrate that the severity of our patients. But over the years, the industry has found Many of our patients are becoming much more complex than that, and SOI and ROM um, just are no longer uh, uh, sufficient to, <clears throat> to paint that clear picture of our patients. So the Alex Hauser Index is essentially a list of 31 condition categories with multiple, multiple IC10 diagnoses within each category that can be used to predict inpatient mortality. In addition, an algorithm that was um, developed some years after the initial Alex Hauser uh, index was developed, but this algorithm um, uh, was developed to, to provide weights for particular, for particular conditions uh, with their association to mortality. I was doing some reading last night and came across a good example, and uh, I don't remember where I read it, so I can't reference it, but um, the example said uh, 50 patients, <clears throat> or, or a hospital has 50 patients and no deaths, and then a second hospital, Hospital B, has 500 patients and no deaths. 
So um, without risk adjusting these, these hospitals would have, you know, essentially the same um, uh, survival scores. Yet um, what we don't know is uh, we're not saying that that the that hospital A, the 50 bed hospital, isn't doing an amazing job, or that hospital B with 500 patients and no deaths is doing an amazing job, but we don't know because we really we really have no idea um, uh, the the picture of those patients without without providing some risk adjustment um, whether or not the the playing field there is level. Uh, I, I, I I like that example, so I hope that that resonates with you as well. And then, uh, so you asked, what's the difference between um, CCs and MCCs, or how does it differ from CCs and MCCs? When I'm thinking of CCs and MCCs, um, I'm thinking of comorbid conditions that are requiring additional resources financially to treat the patient, but that may not necessarily impact overall outcomes. While Ellickshauser conditions are more likely are more often going to be the coexisting conditions that are likely to influence the overall patient outcome. Um, so I'm like in my head thinking um, a little bit of AKI versus CKD. The AKI might be a CC. Um, it you know, we might be able to add some financial resources from from um, that perspective, uh, but it may not be something that's going to really uh, significantly have a, a statistical impact on the on the outcome of the patient. Um, versus uh, versus a a more chronic condition that the patient may have. Um, oh. You asked, you had another, oh, a diagnosis examples. Yeah. Um, hypothyroid comes to mind um, as something that's that's weighted heavily in Ellickshauser, um, as well as um, rheumatoid arthritis and, um, you know, all of the, the conditions that come along with rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, that's a that's a fairly large category and um, and pretty heavily weighted in the in uh, the conditions. Right. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, Deb. That was a very thorough explanation, and can imagine how that would change the look of a chart review at Brigham and Women's. Um, speaking of which, you know, we talk a little bit just about uh, the quality programs that this that uh, this system ties into or impacts, you know, sort of why should hospitals be concerned about their performance in these programs? You, you mentioned at the outset, U.S. News and World Report. I know for those that maybe don't know Boston as well as we do is a very competitive hospital marketplace. Um, great care delivered, but there, there is a reality of, of performance next to your peers. So can you talk a little bit about just how the Alex Hauser does impact these programs and, and why people should be concerned about their performance. Sure. Yeah, well, as you said, specifically, um, the US News and World Report uses 
Ellixhauser as part of their methodology. Um, and that began in 2019, replacing the traditional um, observed over, over expected, which used SOI as an occlusion factor. Um, should everyone be concerned about US News? M maybe not. Um, I think that's an organizational decision, as Brian, you pointed out. Um, in Boston, it's, it's a very competitive market. Um, not only are there other, um, you know, oh, quite a few other hospitals locally, but there's other um, academic, large academic medical centers um, that ha that also have you know, national recognition very locally. Locally, that you know, um, literally our next door neighbor is is another one. Um, so uh, there is a lot of competition, and um, our organization does feel that that consumers look at U.S. news um, when they are deciding where to go for their care. Um, so that may or may not, that may or may not resonate with everyone, um, but there are other reasons to be thinking about risk adjustment and about Ellixhauser and about, um, you know, some of the other methodologies as well. Um, most healthcare quality scores are using some form of risk adjustment. And as I pointed out earlier, the methodologies are all pretty similar as far as the diagnose, maybe not how, um, the, how they're um, modeled, but the, the, um, the categories and the conditions are all really very similar. Um, and you'll see them across many of the different platforms. Um, but as I said, you know, other, so healthcare quality scores are now utilizing some form of risk adjustment um, and not just for mortality, but it's length of stay, it's readmissions, it's hacks, it's PSIs. And, um, and with the future of value-based care, uh, risk adjustment, will be part of the future of many of our reimbursement models going forward and um, getting involved in this now and being prepared um, on the uh, on the at the onset of this uh, I think will be very important so you know we're we're doing this because of us news but we're also doing it um, because we're we're looking at the future and predicting that, uh, you know, healthcare is going to change and, and the way we're reimbursed is going to change. And there's, there's likely going to be a lot of risk adjustment that is involved in those methodologies going forward. Yeah, agreed. Thanks, Deb. Um, Deb, this is Sham again. So how do you use this data for your day-to-day, -day, you know, your CDI's jobs and your work day-to-day? -day? Um, and are there any certain reports or any um, reports that you're using and are you reporting this information to anyone? Like, mm -hmm. I know how you do it with CCs and MCCs, so I'm curious as to what you're doing. Yeah, um, and, and, and for that purpose, it's, it, you know, it's not all that, that different with reports. So, um, you know, it's all the Alex Hauser and all these other models are all based off of, uh, you know, as CCs and MCCs are ICD-10, 
diagnosis codes, administrative data, um, and we all know that's going to only be as reliable, um, only be reliable if we are accurately capturing those conditions from the documentation, which brings us back to how CDI is the effector arm of quality. Um, it falls on CDI to ensure the reliability of the accuracy of the record. Um, so beyond educating the CDI team on the condition categories and encouraging them to query for every opportunity that they um, identify that uh, to improve the integrity of the record. We've also made our service lines aware of the importance of capturing these conditions. Um, <clears throat> they're considering, uh, you know, changing some of their uh, templates to include the conditions that are more likely to affect the um, the categories of conditions that they commonly treat. Um, uh, so, you know, our day to day, our day to day work is very much um, uh, uh, based off of not just Alex Hauser, but um, all of these uh, risk adjustment models and I can't take credit for any of the reports that we're currently utilizing or sharing uh, related to our quality KPIs or um, or our or, you know Alex Hauser specifically. Uh, we have uh, a data scientist at in the quality department who does the majority of those that work on the reporting. Um, but I can say it, it, it's coming out of Vizient. Um, uh, we use Vizient to extract the capture rates of certain certain particular Ellipshauser conditions. Um, so uh, you know, much like CC and MCC capture rates were were um, measuring our Ellipshauser capture rates, our um, capture rate of certain conditions that seem to uh, fall commonly over uh, over uh, a number of the different models, um, like uh, obesity, coagulopathy, um, weight loss. These are all some of the common common category common conditions that we're seeing over multiple multiple risk adjustment models. Um, so we we track that um, that capture rate as well, um, and uh, you know monitor our, our improvement in that way. And, and one other thing that I'd like to mention is is now we're seeing uh, a vendor our our vendors beginning to come to the table as well and recognizing the importance of identifying these conditions uh, that impact risk adjustment in their NLP and and ML tools, which I, I don't believe that any of the vendors, uh, you know, currently <clears throat> currently have this in production. But I believe it's something you know that that the the larger the larger CDI vendors are are working on, which is great because we need all the help we can get, right? Yes. Yeah, Deb, that does tie neatly into the last question we had for you today. Just um, resources and, and other places you'd send people. We got a number of questions. People asked, what tools do you guys use to, you know, for when you're reviewing charts? Um, you know, are, 
is, is this being calculated in an encoder? Do you have a list of the conditions? So is there a place you'd send people and, and or, you know, a name or two of a, of a vendor you might use or, or another resource you might use to learn more about the, uh, the Alex Hauser methodology? Um, yeah, I would say um, really the CMS website and HRQ websites, um, they have great resources. Uh, I get a lot of my information off of both of those sites. Also, networking. I'm, I mean, I learn more from listening to the show and listening to my peers um, and the work they're doing. Um, but also network internally. Uh, if you have a population health department within your organization, find out what they're doing um, and what's happening in quality. Um, I think uh, for for Austin CDI at, at Brigham, kind of you know, getting out of our silos and learning what other parts of the organization were already doing um, around around risk adjustment um, was uh, you know significantly significantly impacted how you know how how we jumped into this as well. So get out there and find out what's happening with, with your peers. Um, but I'd also you know, reference those two websites. And I um, <clears throat> have an article too that uh, Brian, I'll send you the link to, which uh, really describes well how um, the original uh, uh, algorithm was uh, and weights were assigned to the to the Ellixhauser conditions, um, and that was by Van Walraven in two thousand and eight. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we have utilized that uh, uh, that article quite a bit. All right. Yeah. Send me that. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I am. You know. AHRQ is a great site for this. There's a healthcare cost and utilization project, HCUP-USAHRQ.gov, uh, and that's a long string of, no, no, of, of letters, but we'll link to these in the show notes as we always do. So thank you very much, Deb, for sharing your insight on, on Alex Hauser. We're going to take a quick jump back to our poll question. Um, again, we asked folks, how much of an emphasis does your organization place on improving its Alex Hauser comorbidity capture? So here are our results. Majority, 42% don't know. Um, maybe it's not a familiar name or um, it is a little bit off the beaten path, I think, for a lot of folks. Uh, but 18% do say it's a significant focus. 24% um, have it as a somewhat of a consideration while they're doing chart reviews. 10% listed as not a focus. and 6% not applicable. So any uh, any surprises here for you, Deb or, or Sharm, on the on the poll results? Uh, this is Deb. No, you know, I'm not surprised. I think um, the the organizations probably that are more focused on U.S. News are going to be the ones that 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 have um, kind of moved into into Alex Hauser quicker than others. I think eventually we'll see more organizations, um, uh, you know, moving into uh, 
Alex Hauser or some other risk adjustment methodology playing um, a large role in, in their review process. All right. Charm, any comments from your perspective on this? No, that I, actually it's what I thought it would be for today. Um, I do think, like Deb said, many people will start using it. I think it's really just the beginning. I think a lot of people are still using um, like CMS, HCCs, and uh, leaning on those, but I think it will expand, and I think we'll see a lot more about this. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's wrap up with just a brief in the news segment. So this is a, a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today, I wanted to share a post from the Avisient website. You mentioned them earlier, Deb, actually on the show. This one's called uh, Lessons from the Pandemic, Five Value-Based Care Strategies to Consider for 2021. And I will link to this article. It's somewhat lengthy. Um, it's based off of data from 450 Vizient member hospitals on how their experience with COVID-19 will reshape uh, future value-based care models. So from that survey and from that data, the article, uh, the authors of this piece offered up uh, five value-based care strategies to consider for 2021. And this ties in very nicely to our topic today. They, they recommend uh, that hospitals redefine their perspectives on risk, diversify their payers, partners, and arrangements. Uh, the others are optimize internal costs, evolve systems of care, keep community partnerships, um, and prioritize physician alignment. I can't go into all of these in detail in the, in the last few minutes we've got here, but um, some of these are out of the purview of CDI. You know, we're not going to be um, necessarily optimizing costs uh, in a direct way, certainly indirectly. But I thought what was noteworthy was that um, in this article, 83% of healthcare systems interviewed for this piece believe that the shift to value-based care will accelerate as a result from the pandemic. Uh, from the piece, they, uh, Vizient writes that alternative payment models will continue and likely accelerate. Expect more population-based payments and or capitation from governmental payers. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation is exploring these options in several of its new models. For example, direct contracting and primary care first. Uh, prospective revenue-based alternative payment models beyond those in traditional Medicare. Think, for example, Medicare Advantage and Medicaid managed care organizations pursued through other payer provider partnerships will continue to evolve, particularly in the Medicaid space. Um, the article recommends that health systems should re renew their value-based care planning to incorporate diversification of payment models that further refine their payer strategies. Certainly what we talked about today um, it also mentions that ambulatory and low acuity site of care strategies should be prioritized. I do, I, I have been reading a lot about with COVID-19, it exposed healthcare systems that were completely dependent on um, fee for service. And when those, you know, those um, elective surgeries were, were shut down, it made mm -hmm. a big impact as opposed to hospitals that are getting uh, reimbursement based on more of a capitated system. So some interesting guidance here from Vizient, more of a big picture than we might typically cover here, but just wonder if you had any thoughts, Deb, on the article before we wrap up. Um, you know, do you believe we might see 
the emphasis coming on the CC and MCC lists and, and, and priorities like you, uh, you outlined today on the show? Yeah, you know, we're, I, I think we are, we are beginning to see that shift and, um, even at, at Brigham, we're we're seeing this we're seeing the shift. We see more, you know, an increase in our home hospital patients, um, more of a focus on population health and social determinants of health. Um, I'll just, you know, one quick shout out there. My my team leader for CDI, who's she's just finishing her master's in public health. We were looking at this article this morning, and she's like, yeah, it just it's this it's the Institute of Health's triple aim improving patient experience, health population management, and and reducing healthcare costs. And that's, you know, across the board, the future of healthcare. Yep. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Deb. And to wrap Thank up. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Fun. Yeah. Just to wrap up here, um, we are open for, uh, we're calling for members to actus members to run for one of our boards and committees so if you go to the home page of actus.org I'll, I'll just quickly navigate here back so you can see what i'm pointing to and you look at our top banner here you'll see a link to our cdi journal um, but if you kind of tab through this you will see that um, we have an opening for boards and committees click that this will take you to a call for volunteers so we currently have openings for three boards and or committees including our actus advisory board as well as our forms and tools committee and our chapter advisory board um, important that we get folks to volunteer these are important roles uh, especially i work closely with the actus advisory board we do have four openings a physician opening uh, two nurse or other clinical openings and an him uh, coding position that's open on the board. So consider running. We are um, only open through the end of the month. So the link to apply is right here. All right, that is going to do it for today's Actus podcast. We're going to be back here again in two weeks for our next show, which is Denials Management and Education at Henry Ford. They've got a very robust denials program that we're pleased to bring you. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. We try to make these available by Friday at the latest, if not uh, by tomorrow. And as we mentioned, the links from today's show will be included on actus.org and in the show notes on your podcast player, so check them out there. As always, if you have suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, you can reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. Thanks again, Deb. We'll see everyone else. We'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone.